Chapter Thirty Two of The Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Two, at Wastwater. In a little private sitting room of the rambling old whitewashed building, half farmhouse, half country inn, known to tourists as the Pillar Hotel, Wastwater, Holroyd and Caffin were sitting one evening, nearly a week after their first arrival in the Lake District. Both were somewhat silent but the silence was not that contented one which comes of a perfect mutual understanding as appeared by the conscious manner in which they endeavoured to break it now and then without much success by this time indeed each was becoming heartily tired of the other and whatever cordiality there had been between them was fast disappearing on a closer acquaintance during the day they kept apart by unspoken consent as caffyn's natural indolence was enough of itself to prevent him from being vincent's companion in the long mountain walks by which he tried to weary out his aching sense of failure but at night as the hotel was empty at that season they were necessarily thrown together and found it a difficult infliction every day holroyd determined that he would put an end to it as soon as he could with decency as a nameless something in caffyn's manner jarred on him more and more while nothing but policy restrained Caffin himself from provoking an open rupture. And so Holroyd was gazing absently into the fire, where the peat and ling crackled noisily as it fell into fantastic peaks and caves, and Caffin was idly turning over the tattered leaves of a visitor's book, which bore the usual eloquent testimony to the stimulating influence of scenery upon the human intellect, when he came to the last entry in which, while the size of the mountains was mentioned with some approval the saltness of the hotel butter was made the subject of severe comment he shut the book up with a yawn i shall miss the life and stir of all this he observed when i get back to town again holroyd did not appear to have heard him and as caffyn had intended a covert sting the absence of all response did not improve his temper i can't think why the devil they don't send me the paper he went on irritably i ordered it to be sent down here regularly but it never turns up by any chance i should think even you must be getting anxious to know what's become of the world outside this happy valley i can't say i am particularly said holroyd i'm so used to being without papers now ah said caffyn with the slightest of sneers you've got one of those minds which can be converted into pocket kingdoms on an emergency i haven't you know i'm a poor creature and i confess i do like to know who of my friends have been the last to die or burst up or bolt or marry just now the last particularly i wonder what's going on in the kitchen eh he added as now and then shouts and laughter came from that direction hello jenny polly whatever your name is he said to the red-cheeked waiting-maid who entered that instant we didn't ring but never mind you just come in to tell us the cause of these unwanted festivities who have you got in the kitchen it's to hounds said the girl hounds is it jolly dogs rather i should say and they killed near here and they're stooping now postman's come over for a drig with a letter will it be for one of ye and she held out an eccentrically shaped and tinted envelope there's a bonny smell on it she observed it's all right said caffyn it's mine no newspapers eh well perhaps this will do as well and as the door closed upon the maid he tore open the letter with some eagerness from the magnificent miss featherstone i must say there's no stiffness about her style though 
"'What should you say when a letter begins like—' "'I forgot, though,' he said, stopping himself. "'You're the kind of man who gets no love-letters to speak of.' "'None at all,' said Vincent. "'Certainly not to speak of.' "'Well, it's best to keep out of that sort of thing, I dare say, if you can. "'Gilda tells me that she's been officiating as bridesmaid. "'Full list of costumes and presents. "'Sure it will interest me, is she? "'Well, perhaps she's right. "'Do you know, Holroyd, I rather think I shall go in and see how the jovial huntsmen are getting on in there. You don't mind my leaving you? Not in the least, said Holroyd. I shall be very comfortable here. I don't quite like leaving you in here with nothing to occupy your powerful mind, though. And he left the room. He came back almost directly, however, with a copy of some paper in his hand. Just remembered it as I was shutting the door, he said. It's only a stale old review I happen to have in my portmanteau. "'but you may not have seen it, so I ran up and brought it down for you.' "'It's awfully good of you to think of it, really,' said Vincent, "'much more cordially than he had spoken of late. "'He had been allowing himself to dislike the other more and more, "'and this slight mark of thoughtfulness gave him a pang of self-reproach. "'Well, it may amuse you to run through it,' said Caffin, "'so I got it for you.' "'Thanks,' said Holroyd, without offering to open the paper. "'I'll look at it presently.' "'Don't make a favour of it, you know,' said Caffin. "'Perhaps you prefer something heavier. "'You've mental resources of your own, I know. "'But there it is, if you care to look at it.' "'I'd give anything to see him read it,' he thought when he went outside. "'But it really wouldn't be safe. "'I don't want him to suspect my share in the business.' So he went on to the kitchen, and was almost instantly on the best of terms with the worthy farmers and innkeepers, who had been tracking the fox on foot all day across the mountains. Vincent shivered as he sat over the fire. He had overwalked himself and caught a chill trudging home in the rain that afternoon, over the squelching rushy turf of Ennerdale, and now he was feeling too languid and ill to rouse himself. There was a letter that must be written to Mabel, and he felt himself unequal to attempting it just then, and was rather glad than otherwise that the hotel inkstand, containing as it did a deposit of black mud and a brace of pre-Adamite pens, decided the matter for him. He took up the review Caffin had so considerably provided for his entertainment, and began to turn over the pages, more from a sense of obligation than anything else. For some time he could not keep his attention upon what he read. He had dreamy lapses, in which he stood again on the mountain-top he had climbed that day, and looked down on the ridges of the neighbouring ranges, which rose up all around like the curved spines of couching monsters, asleep there in the solemn stillness. And then he came to himself with a start, as the wind moaned along the winding passages of the inn, stealthily lifting the latch of the primitive sitting-room door, and swelling the carpet in a highly uncanny fashion. After one of these recoveries he made some effort to fix his thoughts, and presently he found himself reading a passage which had a strangely familiar ring to it. He thought at first it was merely that passing impression of a vague sameness in things which would vanish on analysis, but as he read on, the impression grew stronger at every line. He turned to the beginning of the article, a notice on a recent book, and read it from the beginning, to end with eager care. Was he dreaming still, or mad? Or how was it that in this work, with a different title and by a strange writer, he seemed to recognise the creation of his own brain? He was sure of it. This book, Illusion, 
was practically the same in plot and character even in names as the manuscript he had entrusted to mark ashburn and believed a hopeless failure if this was really his book one of his most cherished ambitions had not failed after all it was noticed in a spirit of warm and generous praise the critic wrote of it as having even then obtained a marked success could it be that life had possibilities for him beyond his wildest hopes the excitement of the discovery blinded vincent just then to all matters of detail he was too dazzled to think calmly and only realized that he could not rest until he had found out whether he was deceiving himself or not obviously he could learn nothing where he was and he resolved to go up to town immediately he would see mark there if he was still in london and from him he would probably get information on which he might act for as yet it did not even occur to vincent that his friend could have played a treacherous part should he confide in caffyn before he went somehow he felt reluctant to do that he thought that caffyn would feel no interest in such things though here as we know he did him an injustice and he decided to tell him no more than might seem absolutely necessary he rang and ordered the dog-cart to take him to drig next day in time to meet the morning train and after packing such things as he would want lay awake for some time in a sleeplessness which was not irksome and then lost himself in dreams of a fantastically brilliant future when caffyn had had enough of the huntsman he returned to the sitting-room and was disgusted to find that holroyd had retired and left the review i shall hear all about it to-morrow he said to himself and if he knows nothing i shall have to enlighten him myself but not being an early riser at any time he overslept himself even more than usual next day ignoring occasional noises at his door the consequence being that when he came down to breakfast it was only to find a note from vincent on his plate i find myself obliged to go to town at once on important business he had written i tried to wake you and explain matters but could not make you hear i would not go off in this way if i could help it but i don't suppose you will very much mind caffyn felt a keen disappointment for he had been looking forward to the pleasure of observing the way in which vincent would take the discovery but he consoled himself after all it doesn't matter he thought there's only one thing that could start him off like that what he doesn't know he'll pick up as he goes on when he knows all what will he do shouldn't wonder if he went straight for mark somehow i'm rather sorry for that poor devil of a mark he did me a bad turn once but i've really almost forgiven him and but for mabel i think i should have shipped dear vincent off in perfect ignorance dear vincent did bore me so but i want to be quits with charming scornful mabel and when she discovered that she's tied for life to a sham i do think it will make her slightly uncomfortable especially if i can tell her she's indebted to me for it all well in a day or two there will be an excellent performance of the cottage act from the lady of lyons over there and i only wish i could have got a seat for it she'll be magnificent i do pity that miserable beggar upon my soul i do it's some comfort to think that i never did him any harm he lost me mabel and i kept him from losing her i can tell him that if he tries any reproaches meanwhile vincent was spinning along in the dog-cart on his way to drig there had been a fall of snow during the night and the mountains across the lake 
seemed grander and more awful their rugged points showing sharp and black against the blue-tinted snow which lay in the drifts and hollows and their peaks rising in glittering silver against a pale blue sky the air was keen and bracing and his spirits rose as they drove past the grey-green lake and through the plantations of bright young larches and sombre fir he arrived at drigg in good time for the london train and as soon as it stopped at a station of importance seized the opportunity of procuring a copy of illusion one of the earlier editions which he was fortunate enough to find on the bookstall there he began to read it at once with a painful interest for he dreaded lest he had deluded himself in some strange way but he had not read very far before he became convinced that this was indeed his book his very own here and there it was true there were passages which he did not remember having written some even so obviously foreign to the whole spirit of the book that he grew hot with anger as he read them but for the most part each line brought back vivid recollections of the very mood and place in which it had been composed and now he observed something which he had not noticed in first reading the review namely that illusion was published by the very firm to which he had sent his own manuscript had not mark given him to understand that chilton and fladgate had rejected it how could he reconcile this and the story that the manuscript had afterwards been accidentally destroyed with the fact of its publication in its present form and why was the title changed who was this cyril ernstone who had dared to interfere with the text the name seemed to be one he had met before in some connection but where had not mark shown him long ago a short article of his own which had been published in some magazine over that or some very similar signature terrible suspicions flashed across him when these and many other similar circumstances occurred to him he fought hard against them however and succeeded in dismissing them as unworthy of himself and his friend he shrank from wronging mark even in thought by believing him capable of such treachery as was implied in these doubts he felt sure of his honour and that he had only to meet him to receive a perfectly satisfactory explanation of his conduct in the matter and then mark and he would hunt down this impostor cyril ernstone together and clear up all that was mysterious enough at present in the meantime he would try to banish it from his mind altogether and dwell only on the new prospects which had opened so suddenly before him and in this he found abundant occupation for the remainder of his journey he reached euston too late to do anything that night and the next morning his first act even before going in search of mark was to drive to kensington park gardens with some faint hope of finding that mabel had returned but the windows were blank and even the front door as he stood there knocking and ringing repeatedly had an air of dust and neglect about it which prepared him for the worst after considerable delay a journeyman plumber unfastened the door and explained that the caretaker had just stepped out while he himself had been employed on a job with the cistern at the back of the house he was not able to give vincent much information the family were all away they might be abroad but he did not know for certain so vincent had to leave with the questions he longed to put unasked at south audley street he was again disappointed the servant there had not been long in the place but knew that mr ashburn the last lodger had gone away for good and had left no address saying he would write or call for his letters 
Holroyd could not be at ease until he had satisfied himself that his friend had been true to him. He almost hated himself for feeling any doubt on the subject, and yet Mark had certainly behaved very strangely. In any case, he must try to find out who this Cyril Ernstone might be. And he went on to the city and called Messrs. Chilton and Fladgate's offices with that intention. Mr. Fladgate himself came down to receive him in the little room in which Mark Ashburn had once waited. "'You wish to speak to me?' he began. "'You have published a book called Illusion,' said Vincent, going straight to the point in his impatience. "'I want to know if you feel at liberty to give me any information as to its author.' Mr. Fladgate's eyebrows went up, and the vertical fold between them deepened information he repeated oh dear me no it is not our practice really but you can put your question of course if you like and i will tell you if we should be justified in answering you he added as he saw nothing offensive in his visitor's manner thank you said vincent i will then would you be justified in telling me if the name of cyril ernstone is a real or assumed one a few days ago i should have said certainly not as it is i presume you are anxious to meet mr ernstone i am said vincent very much so ah uh, just so well it happens that you need not have given yourself the trouble to come here to ask that question as you are here however i can gratify your curiosity without the slightest breach of confidence there is our later edition of the book on that table the title page will tell you all you want to know vincent's hand trembled as he took the book then he opened it and the title page did tell him all his worst suspicions were more than verified he had been meanly betrayed by the man he had trusted the man whom he had thought his dearest friend the shock stunned him almost as if it had found him totally unprepared it was mark then he said only half aloud as he put the book down again very gently ah so you know him said mr fladgate who stood by smiling he was one of my oldest friends replied vincent still in a low voice and you suspected him eh continued the publisher who was not the most observant of men he took some pains to put me off the scent said vincent yes he kept his secret very well didn't he now you see he feels quite safe in declaring himself a very brilliant young man sir i congratulate you in finding an old friend in him i am very fortunate i know said vincent grimly oh and it will be a pleasant surprise for him too said mr fladgate very pleasant on both sides success hasn't spoilt him in the least you won't find him at all stuck up no agreed vincent i don't think i shall and now perhaps you will have no objection to give me his present address and then i need trouble you no longer at present i see you would naturally like to congratulate him i should like to let him know what i think about it said holroyd exactly well let me see i ought to have his address somewhere 
I had a letter from him only the other day. Did I put it on my file? No, here it is. Yes, Hotel Rheinfall, Gross Laufingen, Switzerland. If you write to your friend any time this month, it will find him there. Vincent took the address down in his notebook and turned to go. Good day, said Mr. Fladgate, delighted to have been of any service to you. By the way, I suppose you saw your friends. But before he could allude to Mark Ashburn's marriage, he found himself alone, Vincent having already taken a somewhat abrupt departure. He could not trust himself to hear Mark talked of in this pleasant vein any longer. It had required some effort on his part to restrain himself when he first knew the truth, and only the consciousness that his unsupported assertions would do no good had kept him silent. He would wait to make his claim until he could bring evidence that could not be disregarded. He would go to Mark Ashburn and force him to give him an acknowledgment which would carry conviction to every mind. He would go at once. Mark had evidently gone to this place gross laufingen with the idea of avoiding him he would follow him there he lost no time in making inquiries and soon learnt that gross laufingen was about two hours journey from basel and that by leaving london next morning he would catch the fast train through from calais to basel and arrive there early on the following day he made all the necessary arrangements for starting and wrote to caffin to say that he was going abroad though he did not enter into further details, and on receiving this letter Caffin took the opportunity of gratifying his malicious sense of humour by dispatching, at considerable trouble and expense to himself, for Wastwater is far enough from any telegraph poles, the message Mark had received from little Max's hand on the mount. Vincent set out on his journey with a fierce impatience for the end, when he would find himself face to face with this man whom he had thought his friend whose affectionate emotion had touched and cheered him when they met at plymouth and who had been deliberately deceiving him from the first all the night through he pictured the meeting to himself with a stern joy at the thought of seeing mark's handsome false face change with terror at the sight of him would he beg for mercy or try to defend himself would he dare to persist in his fraud at the bare thought of this last possibility a wave of mad passion swept over his brain he felt that in such a case he could not answer for what he might say or do but with the morning calmer thoughts came he did not want revenge only justice mark should restore everything in full it was his own fault if he had placed himself in such a position that he could not do that without confessing his own infamy if there was any way of recovering his own and sparing mark to some extent in the eyes of the world he would agree to it for the sake of their old friendship which had been strong and sincere on his own side at least but no sentimental consideration should stand between him and his right Basel was reached in the early morning, and the pretty city was flushed with rose, and the newly risen sun was sparkling on the variegated roofs and cupolas as he drove across the bridge to the Baden station. He felt jaded and ill after a journey in which he had slept but little, and finding that he would not be able to go on to Laufingen for some time, was obliged to recruit himself by a few hours' sleep at an hotel. 
it was past midday when he awoke and the next train which started late in the afternoon brought him to laufingen just as the last sunset rays were reddening the old grey ruin on the hill and the towns and river below showed themselves in an enchanted atmosphere of violet haze leaving his luggage at the station until he should have found a place to stay at for the night vincent walked down to the bridge intending to go to the rhinefall hotel and inquire for mark there is a point where the covered portion of the bridge ends and the structure is supported by a massive stone pier whose angels facing up and down the river and protected by a broad parapet form recesses on either side of the roadway here he stopped for a moment fascinated by the charm of the scene and leaning upon the ledge watched the last touches of scarlet fading out of the slate-coloured cloud masses in the west he was roused from this occupation by a voice which called his name in a low tremulous tone which sent the blood rushing back to his heart and as he turned to see a graceful figure just passing out from under the arched roof towards him he recognised mabel langton the dying light fell full on her face which had an expression half of awe half of incredulous joy she came towards him holding out two eager hands and the awe vanished but the joy grew more assured vincent she cried is it really you you have come back to us or am i dreaming he had met her at last and in this place to which he had come anticipating nothing but pain and contest she had not forgotten him the glad shining in her sweet eyes told him that and a great and glorious hope sprang up within him in her presence he forgot his wrongs he forgot the very object of a journey which had thus led him to her side all his past feelings seemed petty and ignoble and fame itself a matter of little worth he took her small gloved hands and stood there resting his eyes on her dear face which had haunted his thoughts through all his weary exile thank god he murmured it is no dream this time End of chapter thirty two